Hello and welcome to Sunday Night Conversations brought to you by D1Baseball.com. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney, and we want to say thank you to our presenting sponsor, Netting Pros. Netting Pros specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting and padding for college baseball programs all around the country. Next time your field or facility needs something new, whether that's netting, wall padding, L screens, or ball carts, make sure to check out our friends at Netting Pros. And we say this with great sincerity every time. These guys at Netting Pros are awesome. They love college baseball. They have great, great products, clearly, and they're just incredible people. So I want to encourage everyone to support them. And uh, we are grateful for their support. Gentlemen, good evening. Happy Sunday. It is year two, show two. And just to get anyone that hasn't tuned in before up to speed, last year we did a show called Fourth Coach Conversations, where we really featured the volunteer assistants in college baseball who are the fourth coach on the staff. It's a great way to get to know these guys. We did it all fall. It was super fun. And this year we put a little twist on it where we wanted to just talk to any assistant coaches out there and we wanted to be more topic driven. Tonight's topic will be running an offense, running a college baseball offense. First, we want to start with letting these guys introduce themselves and then I've got some questions teed up for these guys. So Coach Pooch, and we'll have each of you guys do this, just a name, where you're from, where you've played, where you've coached, kind of bullet point your resume for us. So go ahead, Nick. Great. I'm Nick Pooch here. I'm the assistant coach at Northeastern. I'm going into my fifth year now with Coach Glavin, and let's go start from the beginning. So I started my playing career at Dean College, which is a junior college in Massachusetts, transferred to Fitchburg State. I finished up there. I was on staff there for one year as an assistant after I graduated and then got a job at Southeastern Iowa Community College, where I was for one year. Worked for Justin Schulte there, who's really just one of those guys, I think one of the best kept secrets in college baseball. Guys won 900 games. He's had a ton of success. And I think, too, like some of the base that I learned there are some things that I still believe in heavily as a coach. I came back to the East Coast after that and hooked up at Wheaton College for Eric Podbelski, a uh, Division Three program. And again, that's another one of those guys. He's, he built that program from the ground up. He's had a ton of success there. He's been to a number of College World Series. And between him and, and Justin Schulte at, at, at Southeastern Iowa, just two guys that, again, really helped start my career as a young coach. And I'm really thankful for. After two years at Wheaton, I then got a head coaching job at Nichols College, which is a Division three school in Massachusetts. And those were five great years, a really young head coach. I think I was hired at 27 years old. And I got an opportunity to make a ton of mistakes and learn a ton and build a program from the ground up, which is a lot of fun. And then this opportunity came at Northeastern where it's funny because when the Northeastern opportunity came up, Mike Lavin and Kevin Cobb, Kevin Cobb's our pitching coach. I knew them for, for a while. It was almost like I'd been on staff for 10 years here because I, I used to always work, we used to always share names, recruiting guys, and really had a relationship. So I, I, I remember the day Lav called me first about the job. And I basically accepted the job before he offered it to me. So it, it's just, it, it's, it's a great place where, where, where you know, we, I think it's, a, it, we really love working with each other. And I think we're just kind of scratching the surface with where we are right now. Hey, hey Nick, so let's, so let me, let me ask you a follow-up question. So you're, it sounds like you're a New Englander through, and like you went to the dead center of the country. <laughs> I can't think of a more severe culture shock unless you went to Hawaii or something. What was that like for you going from New England to the absolute Midwest? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, it, 25 years old, you kind of figure it out. I, I, it was great. Obviously, it was a baseball decision. 
did it. I had mutual contact out there and it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned so much. And again, obviously it's a little bit different. And there are some things that I still talk about to this day about how the Midwest is a little bit different than the East Coast, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So it was an awesome experience and still some things I miss. Some of the, the convenience pizza shops slash gas stations, and we have them out on the East Coast too, but just like Casey's and those types of places. That's what I remember from the Midwest. The pizza was trash though, right? <laughs> I don't Just want kidding. to offend anybody. About it, but. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. I'm a Philadelphia native, Nick, and I tell people out here, they ask about cheesesteaks, and I just tell them, like, if it says it's a Philly cheesesteak, it's 100% not a Philly cheesesteak. If the word Philly is on the menu, you need to move on the menu. So, sorry. Yes. No, just kidding. That's awesome. I love it. Coach Fontino, go for it. All right. Originally grew up in the Bay Area here in California. Played at College of Marin, a junior college up in the Bay Area. Got a chance to play for two <laughs> legends and Al Endress and Tom Arrington there. And then moved on and played my last two years and graduated from York College and NAI school out in Nebraska. And then from there, I went right into coaching. I was very fortunate to, to end up at a good place right away at Cal Lutheran University in Southern California. After that, then I went on to UNLV to be the volunteer there. Got my first taste of Division One baseball as an assistant coach there for three years under Buddy Goldsmith, working with guys like Nate Yeski and Scott Malone and Mike Kirby and, and whatnot. And then from there, just from a responsibility standpoint, got a chance to of course, make a little money and then get a chance to go start recruiting. I moved on to Chico State, which is a Division II power. And then from there, I went to the University of Nevada for one year with Coach Gary Powers and then spent five years with Eric Valenzuela at St. Mary's. Got a chance to coach guys like Corbin Burns and Tony Gonsolin and guys like that up at St. Mary's. And then I went on to UC Santa Barbara with Andrew Checkets for three years. And then last season, I was at USC. And then this year, I'm just getting my first year here started as assistant coach here at Cal Poly. Oh, good stuff. So Matt, let me start with this question. So if yeah. I have the timing right, when you were at UCSB with Andrew Checkets, you guys did a total overhaul of the offensive identity of the program. And that's after they had gone to Omaha. Correct. Where, yeah. yeah. So I guess the thing I'm most curious about is that's pretty scary. Like a program that's already working at a really good clip. And then you guys decide to go all in on something totally different. I'd love to here, what was that like? Was that an easy decision for you all to come to, or was that was there some trepidation there? If it could, and it could check, it's he really between myself and Donegal Fergus, he was completely hands off, and he trusted us to do whatever he thought was best for that side of the baseball. Speaking from an offensive standpoint, Donegal and I really aligned in terms of our philosophy and what we really our vision for offense was and we just hit the ground running and just went for it and fortunately we had some good players in that program i think we ended up with i don't know how many draft picks that year i think 10 draft picks that year i think six of them were position players so obviously that's a big part of it in addition to the training stuff as well but we again we just went for it we knew in our heart of hearts that, that there was a certain way that we wanted to play offense and, and andrew check trusted us to do it that's awesome very cool coach Greeley, go for it matt Greeley. NJIT. Yeah. Thank, first of all, thanks for having me on, Runes. Played at Walla Community College for two years and then went to University of the Cumberlands in Kentucky. I was there for a year and then finished at the College of Idaho. And then immediately from there, went into my playing career or went into my coaching career. I started as a grad assistant at the College of Idaho for a year. After that, I moved back to Alaska, was getting my teaching master's and 
coach that was a high school head coach for four years at Thunder Mountain High School in Juneau, Alaska. Then started back up collegiately. I was at Everett Community College for one year. I went to Arizona Western College for two years. During that time, I started coaching in the summer for the Matsu Miners in the Alaska League as well. Then went to Coppin State University in Baltimore. I was there for five years and uh, made the change to NJIT and am now entering year two with Coach McClellan. I love it. So Coach Greeley, I'm guessing that at some of your coaching stops, because you're going to be our George Horton tonight, where you have a pitching background, but we're going to have you talk offense. But I'm, but I, let me rearrange my question. I feel like when you say some of those stops, you probably had to coach every position on the field, almost coach every part of the program. Is that a fair assessment? It is. You know, what's funny is I feel like spending your whole life dedicated to stopping offenses in some ways can really help prepare you to coach an offense. I think of the offense. I hated pitching against and hated defending the most. And those are the type yes. of offense. That's the type of offense we're trying to create here at NJIT and just continue to foster. Yeah. it's I, So let me finish the George Horton analogy where George Horton was a left-handed DH in college. And then next scene, he's running the pitching staff for Augie Garrido. And then he becomes the head coach at Fullerton and Dave Serrano is his pitching coach. So George is, he really cut his teeth as a coach, as a pitching coach. And then he's running the offense. And anyway, yeah, their offenses were miserable to play against Fullerton back in the day. And no, of course it helps when Justin Turner is hitting, like that's a good start for your offense. But anyway, yes, very good. Yeah, those were good teams. Hey, gentlemen, let's do this. Let's, here's another, here's, here's another question as we get into running offenses. So I want you guys to name a team that really, a team that you either played for, coached, or coached against, or played against, that you feel like really shaped some of the things you think about running an offense. I'll give you guys an example. So 2000, Arizona State, was a, I was an assistant coach on that team. We tied for the Pac-12, Pac-10 at the time championship. We were a top eight seed, got upset in the regional but that team, we had two middle-of-the-order guys. Casey Myers was the Pac-10 player of the year. Mitch Jones hit 27 home runs that year. So those guys got all the attention. But the, what I think about that offense, obviously those two guys are amazing, but we had a leadoff hitter, Jonah Martin, who got hit by a pitch 29 times. We had Jeff Duncan and hit in the two-hole, who's now the head coach at Kent State, who ran a 6-5-60. We had a kid, Mike Lopez, and another guy, Jeff Phelps, Digger Phelps, who were hit and run like any, you could get them up at five in the morning, they could execute a hit and run. So <laughs> it was just an offense that worked together. Now, of course, Casey and Mitch drew all the headlines, but that was, I never forgot that where I felt like those other guys just kind of picked at the other, the opponent, the pitching staff, and then Mitch and Casey ended up just with the knockout punches. Coach Puccio, let me start with you. Name a team, any, it doesn't matter what your association with that team was, but name a team that you've been part of that shaped what you think about running an offense. I think in particular, when 2012, I was in the Cape with Hyannis and we coached a couple guys from Arkansas, Brian Anderson, who got to the big leagues mm. and Brian Spoon. And both those guys, again, like super talented players, but they were also really good at the little things, right? They could do everything. And you could just see that those guys were just really well coached and things like <laughs> slash read, something that in the Cape we didn't have installed in our offense, but team would run a wheel on us and those guys would know to do it. And it was just 
second nature to them. They could bunt, they could drive baseballs. And I think that a lot of those guys who are really good situationally are also your best hitters. Like, I, I think it's hard to find like awesome situational hitters and guys who are really good at the little things who you can't hit. I think they work hand in hand. I know from my standpoint, I'm always looking and we want our guys to be able to do everything because I think it all works together. I think being a good bunter makes you a good hitter. Being able to handle a bat allows you to drive baseballs better with hit and runs, slash reads, those types of things. And I think it really hit me when it was in 20, I said 2012, was 2013 with those guys and what they were able to do and how well coached they were. And, and Spoon and Anderson were two different players, but they were both had the abilities to do similar things. And I think it's really important when you're building an offense to be well-rounded that way. Yep. I love that. It always makes me think of Mike Gillespie, the late Mike Gillespie. His expression was, I want complete players. I want players for all occasions that can thrive <laughs> in any type of game. So that's awesome. Coach Fontino, what, 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 name a team that, that influenced you as someone who runs an offense. I, I got three kind of references, and I'm going to try to do it like sequentially in terms of years. First and foremost, like I grew I'm from California, obviously. So I grew up with Pac-10 baseball with USC baseball, with you guys at ASU, with with Stanford and, and all that stuff. And the, like your guys' teams at ASU runes were like, for some reason or another, like they've stuck with me through my whole coaching career in terms of the physicality, the like a million left-handed hitting or switch hitters. <laughs> you guys would roll out like left, left, switch, left, left. It would be, and for some reason that's always stuck with me just in terms of like, my vision for at least putting together a roster as a recruiter and an offensive guy. And then from there, as I continued with my coaching career, obviously getting to Division One baseball and being at a private school and not quite recruiting nationally, but having certain times of the year where you're maybe going to PG National and you're seeing players from all over the country do their thing. And then obviously competing in regionals with teams all over the country and seeing how offense is played outside of California, outside of the West Coast. We opened up in 2016 at the NC State Regional against Coastal Carolina. Of course, they won the national championship that, that year. And seeing that, that group of guys, how they played offense, how they could either hit home runs or they could steal bases or how they could base it bunt and all that stuff, that, that definitely stuck with me as well. And then as far as the team goes, our 21 team at UC Santa Barbara, I think was probably the antithesis of all those things combined. I think we were one of two teams in the entire country to lead their conference in both stolen bases and home runs. I think Campbell was the other team that particular year. And that's hard to do. That's usually you get guys that are big and strong. They hit a bunch of home runs or are a little bit more athletic and fast per se, and don't hit for as much power. And that's really what I've, I want from an offense is I want to be multidimensional, as you mentioned, and not just have to sit around, wait for a three run home run, figure out a way to get around the bases and score as many runs as you can. But also it's nice to be able to hit a bunch of homers as well. Yeah. When you guys had that group at UCSB that was run and pop, run and power, but the mm -hmm. Big West is known for a million picks. I think I could make an argument that no league controls the running game better than the Big West historically. So what, how did you coach through that? Hey, once we get this reputation, there, there's going to be picks. Yeah, I just think uh, there's so much stuff out there in terms of scouting and with synergy and things like that. that you could get a better idea going into a weekend or a midweek game, what their tendencies are in terms of all that. And ultimately they, they can pick as much as they want, but it's really still going to be about leg times and, and pop times and all that stuff and their sure. ability to play catch down to second base yeah. with all that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good way to think about it. Coach Greeley, you take it from here. 
Yeah, an offense that that was really tough to pitch against when I was at Arizona Western was South Mountain Community College. And uh, it's a wood bat league down there, but it's in Arizona as well. So the ball flies. And so for those wood bat leagues, I think you have to be equipped to, to beat people a lot of different ways. You'll see some buzzsaw arms that you might have to win a two to one ball game in. You'll have some days where every pitcher's throwing right in that nitro zone and it's going to turn into a slugfest and you'll have a lot of in between. That was an offense to me that I thought really you know, embodied a lot of the winning traits that you see good teams have. When they're making outs in runners and scoring position situations, they're making the correct outs that keep the line moving. They just strung together a ton of quality at-bats and really controlled the zone. And when runners got on base, they would influence the type of pitchers that the hitters would get to hit. And that those offenses are just really tough to handle. The, and when your park at Arizona Western, if memory serves, does do you guys have days where the ball is just jumping out of there, or what's typical for you guys that was typical at Western? Yeah, it was a smaller it was a smaller yard, so the ball would jump, but then it, on days it would it just wouldn't carry quite as well as other days. But it was one of the smaller parks in the league for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's and you know what's an interesting thing about the Arizona JUCO league, which is a great league. I got to coach in it too. Is you'd have double headers on Tuesdays, where the first game was seven innings, and again you're talking about wood bats, bomb bats. The second game was nine innings. So often the first game of the double header, the seven inning game, was ace versus ace, and so like you're talking about one nothing, two one games almost every week. You're also talking about an hour and 15 minute games, by the way, which was amazing. But, but yeah, that was that, that league is super fun. Got it. All right, boys, let's go around the horn again. Uh, Coach Puccio, I'm going to come back to you. Here's the question I got for you here. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, there's a person named Sarah Lang. She's one of the preeminent stats and researchers at ESPN. She just announced on Twitter the other day, she actually was diagnosed with ALS. And so at ESPN, she is one of the most popular people there. And I, I doubt Sarah Langs will ever hear this podcast, but if she does, obviously we were thinking of her and praying for her. And I heard her on a podcast with Buster Olney and Carl Ravitch recently. And uh, so she is like a stats and guru and she loves baseball. Just a really neat person. When there's a theme out there that, hey, playoff baseball in the major leagues is more about small ball than it is about power. And she's got data that contradicts that. And so I'm going to give you guys the data and I want to talk about it. So the data is this. In 2021, in the playoffs, in the major league playoffs, 2021, last year, teams that out-homered their opponent went 25-2. and two. So last year's playoffs, teams that out-homered their opponents went 25 and two. Now this year it's changed a little bit. It's those teams that out home their opponents are 11 and five, but 21 and two is pretty, 25 and two, I'm sorry, is pretty compelling. Now I am struggling with that and data can get a little wonky, right? Like data points can be a little oversimplistic. And the way I would receive that is I'd say, oh, okay, I guess that I need to teach my hitters to just try and drop <laughs> bombs. And that means we're just going to try and catch balls out front and snap, pull side fly balls and that's a whole can of worms, especially with the type of pitching you're facing in the playoffs. So I struggle with that, but the data is the data. Coach Puccio, let me start with you. You can agree with some of that, dispute that. Why there, there is no right or wrong answer here, but how do you receive that data point? What are your thoughts on that? I would say this, right? Like it, we we talk a lot about the game within the game, right? And again, go by the naked eye and you watch the postseason right now. And guys who are, give, who are just 
competing really well in the box. They're taking what they get from a situational standpoint, runners on third base, moving runners, being really tough with two strikes, some ugly swings, just that find a way. I think that is hitters in the box and is an offense. And we talk about it a lot. It's just like when you have that one pitch mentality and you're going one-on-one with a pitcher, it, I think it leads to pitchers giving in. And at the end of the day, it, it's, if you can do, if you can do that one piece of winning pitches, of extending at bats, of taking uncomfortable swings, making it really hard on them, I think the extra base hits and balls that leave the yard come. So I I do think that those things matter. And it goes back to getting runners on base and making pitchers have to control the running game. And it does matter in the postseason. And I think that the game gets a little fast for pitchers when that does matter and you're seeing stolen bases happen. And it's making them have to separate two different jobs. They got to execute a pitch and they got to hold a runner. And it's allowing a, a hitter to get a better pitch to hit. So I do think they work, it works hand in hand, right? And I think that obviously big innings are really important and you see the big inning numbers in college baseball, but that process that leads to a big inning isn't just the result of the three spot, right? It's Mm -hmm. everything it takes to get there. And I think you see that a lot in the playoffs. You're seeing guys at the highest level piece at bats together, pitch to pitch, ultra competitive they're winning the battle and then they can string it together for four five six at bats and that's where those extra base hits and home runs can lead from right so i think it's that game within the game that leads to the big result yep yeah that's good stuff i don't i'm not going to steer the jury coach fontino take it from there what are your thoughts yeah for me like I think that there's, there's, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if misconceptions are the right thing. So there's like different ways you can look at playing for just trying to hit home runs. Obviously that's the quickest way to score a run. That's simple baseball. But I think that at least from my perspective, yes, I want guys that hit home runs. I want, I want to be at or near the top of the conference every year in home runs and all that stuff. But at the same time, that's not at the expense of not being a good hitter and not being able to be able to hit singles. If again, matchups matter. Same thing in Major League Baseball. Who are you facing? The ballpark factor, the weather, of course, this time of year, especially back east, and can play into that stuff as well. But yeah, I want guys that can hit home runs and all that stuff, but not at the expense of their ability to be a good hitter and all that stuff. So I think, much like to Nick's point there, the stuff that goes into ultimately a three-run inning or, or multi-run inning that where you do get a home run and all that stuff, that's going to obviously some other things that need to happen in order to get guys on base. And I'd be curious to know, and even like, deeper part of that stat how many how much what what went into those uh how many of those innings were multi-run innings multi-run home runs instead of solo home runs and all that stuff as well but yeah that's what i think about when it comes to the the home run part of it and the important and ultimately it's offense like the game of the game is score as many runs as you can and whether it be by hitting three run home runs and then hitting some singles and a double to score a couple runs and obviously all that stuff adds up as well yep Coach Greeley, I have a follow-up question that I might ask all of you guys, but Coach Greeley, go ahead. How do you digest that data point? It goes against what I would think it would be, but I think when when you look into it, I think a lot of those hitters just do a unique job of being able to be on the same plane as the baseball, swing at strikes, and be on time more often. And when you do that, I think you just have some adjustability in your swing, which will lead to a ton of success. For me, if an offense is, is stays dedicated to scoring runs, 
and that is their primary focus. You're going to win more games. You're going to have a record like this lopsided one here. But I think when a hitter is able to really commit to an advanced approach and stay in the middle of the field, a lot of those home runs that you watch, they're on mishit baseballs. They're not on that ball that's just perfectly squared up at that perfect angle that you like. Some of those are mishit baseballs that they're running out of the yard. Yeah, and some of these dudes are monsters too. Hey, let me expound on this theme that when I think about playoff baseball, I think about for us in college baseball, hey, Willie Bloomquist of Arizona State said this on a podcast we had recently where he said, hey, it's 56 playoff games in college baseball. And this is a guy that played in the big leagues for 14 years. And I believe that in my heart of hearts. There, there are playoff games within our playoff games, right? Like, you know, for those of us that play in conferences where it may be a one-bid league, the conference tournament is, that's playoffs, you know, times 10. And then there's the NCAA tournament and super regionals and Omaha and all those different types of things. So coach Puccio, let me start with you. So does your approach, do I have to have a different approach if I'm facing just like a bona fide ace, like I'm going to see at the end of the year, or do I have to have a D do I run my offense a little bit differently if I'm in a conference tournament where everything's so compact, do you not believe, is it more that you have to just keep doing your thing? I think that it's why you got to do it all year too, right? Like I think if you're going to ask your team to do something come tournament time that's any bit different from what you did during the year, good luck. Where it's the highest, it's the highest stress levels. It's more difficult to execute. And if you haven't had opportunities to do that during the season, then you're not going to be successful in those biggest spots. You can't expect a, a kid to get a bunt down for the first time in game 59 or 60 who hasn't done it all year, right? You can't expect to hit and run in a spot with a kid that hasn't had to do that. And I just think it's important. And I believe in running a multiple offense and doing a lot of different things. We better be able to do that throughout the year. And yes, you have to attack pitchers differently. But I think that's something that you talk about throughout the year of how you attack certain guys. And none of that really changes once you get to the tournament. And again, it's just, it's, you have to, the things that you want to be and the things that you're going to have to do to win a championship have to be things that are instilled in your program in the fall and instilled in your offense in the fall. And you have to do it all the way through or it's, you're not going to be able to do it. And I think, too, I think a little bit of it is like your offense does mold to its identity throughout the year. In maybe years, we feel like we're going to have to do some different gadget things that maybe we didn't have to or vice versa. But if you instill that stuff on day one, it allows you to have that 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 option to do some different things and find ways to scrap time or game 35, right? Like you have to have that ability to do that regardless and not think you guys can get that, go, go, execute those types of things in it later in the year when they haven't done it all yet. Yeah. So Matt Fontino, let me, uh, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to change the question a little bit. I'm going to fast forward to a question that I had in, in my back pocket. And I think you're the perfect, perfect person to start us with this. What you guys did at UCSB was very unique to lead a conference in home runs and stolen bases almost feels not possible with 11.7 scholarships. I think we all almost feel like we got to pick a lane. So here's my question. When you think about running an offense, building an offense, if you had to boil it down to three bullet points, I want my offense to do X, Y, and Z. What, wh- how would you break it down in three bullet points? Are you talking about physical skill or anything? You go anything. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to watch you play for a weekend. I'm going to watch your offense for a weekend. What are the three things I'm going to take away if you get to have your way? Well, I, again, it's not a, like a 
skill or tool, but like for me, like mentality with the group is has to be, it has to be there. And mentality is a lot of things. It's the competitiveness, it's the toughness that obviously carries into their approach at the plate and as a base runner on their ability to be relentless, regardless of whatever the scoreboard says or whatever inning it might be. That's the foundation for everything. Cause I, I just, I thoroughly believe that you could have elite athletes you can have great swing mechanics and all that stuff but if the mentality is not right you'll have some success but it's not going to be consistent so that's without a doubt one thing that really matters to me i think i think that the right level of athleticism and physicality i think has to matter i think with that whether it be foot speed bat speed and all that stuff i think kind of blend in for the last two for me and then i think probably the last thing that you won't see more behind the scenes thing is like what you ultimately see in terms of the final the final package on the field on a game day and all that stuff is purely the result of everything we've done in practice taking advantage of every second that the NCA gives us in terms of our training and our practice periods and, and what we do with the challenging stuff that we we do on a daily basis in our offensive training stuff yeah with those offenses Matt the, so let me ask you a two-part follow-up question. So you guys were so good at stealing bags and you're almost one through nine you can leave the yard in a swing. Does that make you running that offense? Does that make you feel like, hey, I want to be really, I want to tread really lightly on other things like bunt for a hit, sack bunt, slash, hit and run, because we've got two really dangerous things that we can bring to the party. And I don't want to dilute them with, with all this other stuff. Or do you feel like, hey, I just want a complete offense and let's see how it sorts itself out? Yeah, I want a complete offense, but only based off of the nine guys that are in there. So if I have a guy who can run and can do maybe one type of bunt, but can also really hit or hit for home runs, like that's the only thing I'm asking him to do. I'm not going to have him all of a sudden try to slash in game 40 or something like that. When I know that's not one of his strong suits, it doesn't mean we don't practice it. We don't, we don't go over it and all that stuff as a group, but I also know that, Hey, in this situation, me asking him to do this is isn't the best thing for our group today at this moment. So I'm not going to have them do that. So I, I put, I try to really understand what their strengths are. Obviously matchups matter who we're facing in the situation and all that stuff. And then based off of that, just try to let them go. And the hard part, and as all you guys know, as we're coaching 18 to 22 year olds and all that stuff is the hard part is like how much trust we have in our guys to go do it. It's easy to sit there and try to be a little bit overbearing at times, but ultimately you, you really have to trust your guys in whatever situation it might be because of what you've done in the past and who you have to just for them to go out there and perform. It may not happen for that particular time, but you're hoping that it happens more often than not. Yep. Love that. Coach Greeley, you take this anywhere you want, but three things that you want your offense to be able to do, or if I watch your offense, three things you want me to take away from watching them perform. Yeah, I think first thing would be just to force the pitcher to take on all nine of us. A lot of these hitters are coming from a showcase environment and they're not used to working together as an offense and being a cog in that offense. So, you know, working together as an offense to, to grind that pitcher out of the game, I think is something that's incredibly important. On that same note, forcing the pitcher to adjust to us as well. Most pitchers I don't think are equipped to get you out three or four different ways. They have one to two ways to get you out. And if you can force them to do something that they're not comfortable with, I think you have a huge edge as an offense and can really do a lot of damage. The other one would be, you know, just the ability to stay present. I think it's really easy to carry one 
pitch where you look bad into the next one and it dilutes your ability to compete. So just the ability to take a breath and, and stay present pitch to pitch, I think gives you the best chance to get that done. Do you feel like Matt, like when I, when you say that first part, that really resonates with me. If you're going to beat a really good pitcher, you can't wait until the third or fourth inning and feel him out, especially in 2022. We know who these people are. And if this guy for three months has been dotting the four spot, like he's just been commanding fastball down and away. Like it feels like a mis- I'm offering my opinion now. It feels like a mistake to just wait until the fourth inning to see if he's got it that day. Like I, I almost want to say, hey, fastball down the way is our fastball down the middle today. Is it, it from a because you know, you've lived on both sides of this fence? Is it is that the pitch that most often in in college we got to take away from somebody, or you think that's oversimplifying it? Yeah, I would say so. Most pitchers that pitch away from hitters' power fields, and most guys don't hit the ball to the backside as hard as they do to the pull side. So. Yeah, I would say that's probably the most common attack plan for guys is just mm-hmm. attack away and force the hitters to, to make an adjustment. So if you can cover that, there's not that many pitchers in college baseball that will get you out in and out, up and down and front and back. They usually can do one. Maybe they're working on a second one right. of those. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's but I haven't been in the dugout in a few years, but I always love it when a pitcher, the opposing pitcher throws one fastball in. And that hitter comes back to the dugout with the announcement, oh, he's pounding me in. And you're <laughs> looking at that person like, don't spread that poison in this dugout. And it was and, one And pitch. in reality, he just missed in. It- yeah, that's right. He <laughs> yeah. sprayed it in accidentally. Yeah. Oh, said Coach Fontino. Oh, good. Hey, boys, let's do this. We touched on it earlier, but I want you guys to, we talked about a team that's influenced you. I want to un- unpack so- a person that's uh, that's influenced you. Matt Deggs, the 2014 Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, one of my favorite offenses of all time. It felt like all nine guys were five foot ten, 195-pound former high school running backs who bunted for a hit, left the yard, hit doubles, and stole bags. Like it was just so difficult to defend. And I'll tell you, just a West Coast influence. I'm gonna say the name Wally Kincaid, because he was like the godfather of West Coast offense, where you would play a Cal State Fullerton and they swang wildly first pitch. They would bunt for a hit with one strike, and then the two-strike approach was magnificent. And then at second base, they would torture your pitcher with the threat of stealing third base. So those are coaches that influence me. Coach Puccio, let me start with you. I'm looking for a name of someone that's influenced the way you look at running an offense, and what about that person was the influence? I got two, really. First, I already mentioned earlier, Justin Schulte at Southeastern Iowa. Um, It was that one through nine type mindset where we had a bunch of guys who ended up moving on and and being division one players. And we had some guys who moved on and played professional baseball. And again, it was guys who could leave the yard and they were freaking uber athletic and could bunt base hit. And if you were playing them back with one strike and the third baseman's back, we would take the run. We talk about competing there. Also, just, just the whole focus on two strike hitting and i just think it's so important in college baseball and we had a really strong emphasis on it at southeastern iowa and we talked about hitting in a certain average with two strikes and it's something that i take with me today with our guys and what we talk about just hey we want to be we set the number somewhere around like 190 with two strikes and we judge that off of usually it's like the top 10 offenses in the country that year and it can range from 190 to 230 
And it's just the emphasis on that and what it takes and not just a physical adjustment, but the mental adjustment and being a competitor and finding a way to win pitches and extend at bats. And then the other side was Eric Pavelski at Wheaton College, where it was just that, again, that, that mindset of it doesn't matter how you get it done. It's about who you got and it's about stringing it back together one through nine in winning baseball games and scoring runs. And that's what it comes down to. And again, year to year, and I can sit here and say what I think our offense is going to be this year it could be completely different in, in, in eight months from now. But it's having that ability to evolve, right? But at the end of the day, getting your guys to buy into, we're just finding ways to score runs and all those little things that go into it. We get talented players who can drive baseballs and leave the yard. We have guys that can steal bases and how all of that molds together for the end game, which is winning baseball games and scoring runs is what you're trying to get your guys to buy into. Love it. Coach Funt, so a coach or some coaches that have influenced the way you look at running an offense and what about them did that? I've been fortunate enough to work for some incredible guys throughout my coaching career. So I'll group them all together in terms of their effect on me in terms of my vision for offense. But the one that's the most important for me, and this might sound sentimental or whatever, but it's the reality. And that's my dad. My dad is a baseball guy. He coached me growing up. He was always around. He was always a resource for me. He's still a resource for me. He's a guy that I can call if I have something on my mind and I know I'm going to get an impartial, great opinion on his and also get the, the honest truth if it's something that, that I need to hear. But he instilled the passion of this game in me, my curiosity for how to continue to improve as a, as a baseball player and then um, now as a baseball coach. But there's no question that person would be my dad. But just getting back to the other group of guys that I've been fortunate to work with and including the incredible boss I have right now and Larry Lee here at Cal Poly, they've each and every guy has given me something that's been a huge part of me and my offensive philosophy. Let me ask you a follow-up question, Matt. So <laughs> I, I remember coaching against you guys at UNLV under Buddy Goldsmith, certainly watching you guys. And then I think about Larry. I think Buddy and you guys were just excellent at coaching hitters to hit. I don't recall the UNLV offenses being super fancy or just, it was just really good hitters one through nine. And then I, that's how I think of Larry Lee is just this guy can really coach a hitter to hit the baseball. What are similar about the way Buddy and Larry coach hitters and what's different? I think obviously that was more at the beginning of my coaching career and I was a lot younger and the UNLV guys, it was, I wouldn't you know, basic is not a bad term. Basic is a term of a, a positive term in terms of, okay, we're going to be great at these three or four or five things from an offensive standpoint. And this is how we're going to hit. And this is what we're going to do. It's not going to be a broad spectrum of things that we're going to try to do offensively. Coach Lee, I think on the other side, he's, he's obviously been doing it for 40 plus years for 20 here at Cal Poly. He's got a, obviously an incredible background to be able to teach all different types of offense in terms of whether it be just flat out being able to hit this type of pitch or this type of pitcher, but also being able to teach guys to be able to do everything else as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Coach Greeley, what say you? I've been really lucky just with some of the other assistants that I've got to work with that have just been able to debate and talk offense versus defense and just how that works. A couple that stand out to me, a couple when I was at Everett Community College, Cody Atkinson, who's now hitting coordinator for the Texas Rangers, I believe, Kurt Nelson as well from there, and then Dan Padilla down at South, who I got to coach with for a summer. And I think all of them, some similar traits, very rhythm-based and very individual to the hitter. Certainly not cookie cutter with what they're doing, which I think just 
helps make a really dynamic offense. One's that one that's equipped to beat you a lot of different ways. One that can beat you on Friday night when you got a close game. One that can beat you when the wind is blowing out. One that can beat you when the wind is blowing in and is just adjustable. And they aren't afraid to adjust when the game calls for it. Yep, I love that. All right, boys, this is an unfair question that we're going to wrap up on. We'll just do lightning round, really quick answers. You guys have all done a really good job talking about how the whole thing works together, but we all have favorite plays, right? We have favorite buttons to push. So you're only you're only going to, I want, I want to know your favorite button to push in an offense. Stolen base, 3-0 green light, just swing away, hit and run, whatever it is. You can only, you have, you're making you pick your favorite child right now, which I know is unfair. I'm going to start. I'm going to go slash. I love slash. I'm sorry. I'm unapologetic. I'm a slash apologist. Get the defense vulnerable. So many kids have a better swing and slash than they do with their just normal come out of their shoes swing. So yeah, give me, if I'm only allowed one play, give me slash. Coach Pooch, what are you thinking? I'm a sucker for a stolen base. Second or third? Uh, third's easier to steal, but there there's an art to stealing second that when guys have it down, it's fun to watch. Yeah, I love the stolen base too. I'm with you. Coach Fontino. I'm going to go two. I'm going to go suicide squeeze and then stealing home. Oh, suicide squeeze. I thought yeah. people had retired that play. I struggle <laughs> with safety squeeze because I, like I feel like I'm with you. I think safety squeeze is a very underrated. I think the difficulty of the base running play on safety squeeze is very, it, that's a hard base running play, I think. Whereas suicide squeeze would just be aggressive and, figure it out. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. Yeah. Coach Greeley, what are you thinking? I got two as well. One, one would be a play you'd put on at the, the second one is very dependent on the runners on base. But for me, the run and hit would be my favorite. Oh, I like that. Uh, the run and hit. And then if the situation calls for it, I love when the bases are loaded and you're able to advance all runners on a tag. Like all three runners tag up. I'll tag All three runners tag <laughs> yes. in advance. Oh, gosh. Now that you talk about having a pitcher have a meltdown. That, would do it. <laughs> that is great. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, very cool. So, gentlemen, th this I, I say this every week, but it, the, we've been on the call for just about 56 minutes and it absolutely flew by. I really appreciate this. We could go for another two hours. And uh, as I told the group last week, I, I may buy each of you a beverage at the uh, convention at the ABCA and we can continue this conversation. I, I enjoy this so much. I love talking baseball, but I love talking offense, if I'm being really honest. Really appreciate your time. I want to say thanks again to our friends at Netting Pros. These guys are awesome. We're just we're genuinely honored that they've chosen to sponsor the show, but I think it speaks volumes about who they are. They love the game. And so again, I want to encourage everyone to support the guys at Netting Pros and say thank you to them. That is it for tonight. We'll be back next Sunday night. We're going to Keep going different topics. You'll see us promoting it on Twitter throughout the fall. And that is it. Everyone have a great week and we will catch you next Sunday night. Take care.